All right, reading today from Hebrews 12, verses 18 to 29. And I'm sorry, I can't do it with a Kiwi accent. You have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire, to darkness, gloom and storm, to a trumpet blast or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them because they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I'm trembling with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? At that time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, once more I will shake not only the earth but also the heavens. The words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken, that is, created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful, and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Good morning, everyone. It's so good to be with you in person again. It's great to be able to live stream also to those in the U3A room and to those at home. It's been four months since we've been together like this, can you believe? Uh, I was on holidays at, at Kosciuszko, you can see a little bit of it here in New South Wales, when um, Kathy told me that she had a message on her phone asking if I could call Paul Harrington, my boss. Now, what you need to understand is that sounds nice, but getting a phone call from Paul Harrington when you're on holidays is never actually a good thing. It means some disaster has happened, like uh, Coops has done an all-ages spot and has backfired and he's lost a limb and three small children, or Scott's broken his back in some crazy kick, or something like that. So when I rang him and I heard him say, we're going to be stopping church because of COVID-19, my initial response was actually a sense of relief, a feeling of relief that, that no tragedy had happened and that everyone was okay. But then in the, the days that followed and the weeks that followed, I had this growing feeling of, of uncertainty. What was this going to mean for us as a church? How do we hold together? How do we help each other keep living for Jesus when we can't even see each other? Well, we all know now what the answer to that's been. It's been church online it's been Trinity Kids via Zoom, it's been phone calls, and it's been socially distanced walks. And some of us actually quite liked the way that, that things have been. Some of us secretly have even preferred that. Some of us not so secretly have preferred it. <laughs> About a month ago, someone posted a picture on our Facebook page, and it's a picture of a couch, and the pastor says, I'm going to 26 meetings a week to figure out how to have in-person church. And the people say, we're watching church on the couch, wearing pyjamas and drinking coffee, and we can mute you. <laughs> we're good. 
maybe that's how you're feeling right now, missing your pyjamas and your coffee and your couch and the mute button. Well, the truth is, we're actually at all, we're all at different stages at the moment. Some of us are extroverts and some of us were just sick of our kids trashing the house while Trinity, you know, while church online was happening and so we couldn't wait to get back here like this right now. But others of us are introverts and we actually prefer much smaller gatherings of people and we're feeling a little bit overwhelmed right now. Some people, they love change. So they loved changing to church online and then they loved changing back to church being together. And the idea of church planning in three weeks' time, well, they're, they're loving themselves sick about that as well. But other people hate change and they finally got used to church online and, and they kind of wish it could just continue. And the idea of church planting in, in three weeks' time, well, it just adds injury to insult. But regardless of whether we love change or we hate it, either way, change is an opportunity or it's a threat. And this is true spiritually too. Change, it can grow us in our relationship with God or it can threaten our relationship with God. You see, it's only probably now that we're coming back together that we'll start to get the real picture of the impact of these last four months. For some of us, these, these last four months, the impact has been great and really positive for our relationship with God. We've grown in leaps and bounds as, as we've turned to God more and more and depended on Him more and more. But for others, the impact of these last four months is that it's actually been really challenging spiritually. We've gone under spiritually And tragically, some of us might never surface again. And it's not like all our challenges are just in the past now either. Right now, we we face a new wave of change. We're meeting face-to-face again, but it, it feels different, doesn't it? There's more technical glitches to start with, at least for those at home. We're about to church plant in three weeks' time. That's a fresh wave of changes. And no one wants to say it, but the truth is we could all get comfortable again just to go back into lockdown like Victoria. It's possible. So what I want to do today as we relaunch church face-to-face is to stop and to remind ourselves, what is it that we've come to? And I don't just mean what have we come to here in Modbury School Hall or what have we come to in church online at home? today, I mean, what exactly have we come to when we come to God, when we come to put our trust in God, amidst all the changes that that could shake us up, that have shaken us up and and that will shake us up in the future, what is the rock-solid reality that still stands? What's the unshakable core that no change, no, no matter how shocking it is, no change can shake, can touch. Well, that's what we're going to look at today and it's exactly what the letter to Hebrews, the Hebrews, is about in chapter 12. Now, if you feel shaken up by the last four months or you feel shaken up about what's, what's possibly ahead of us, it's nothing compared to what the people getting this letter felt. It's nothing compared to what they faced. See, they were, were Jews 
who had come to put their trust in Jesus as their Lord and Saviour. But being a Jew, that was an accepted religion in the Roman Empire. Being a Christian wasn't. And so when everything changed for them, when it went from going smooth to suddenly facing persecution, facing property being taken off them, facing prison, they were shaken, seriously shaken. And they found themselves thinking perhaps what we had before was better. Perhaps we should give up on Jesus and just go back to how things were before. And this brings us to our first point for today. Whatever you're tempted to turn to or return to, it just can't compare. Now for them, they were tempted to return to life before they knew Jesus, and which meant just following the Old Testament as a Jew, as if Jesus had never lived, died and rose again. They're weighing up two options. And so the writer of this letter, he, he compares those two options for them and he talks about them as if they're two mountains. Look at verse 18 again. He says, You've not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire, to darkness, gloom and storm, to a trumpet blast or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them. Now, do you see what mountain he's describing here? They certainly know. He's describing what we saw last week, as it, as it turns out, in Exodus 19, when the people of God gathered at Mount Sinai to become God's own people and to receive the law. It was a terrifying experience. And thousands of years later, these people are considering giving up on Jesus and turning back to that mountain, that way of relating to God. Now, there was nothing wrong with that mountain, it was spectacular, even if it was terrifying. But there is something wrong with experiencing the better mountain, but then wanting to go back to that old one. You've heard me say this before. It's like there's nothing wrong with, with having a picture of, of your husband or your wife at home. But if your wife comes back after she's been away for a few weeks and you want to hang out with the picture and not with her, there is something wrong with that. And it's a little bit weird as well. A picture just can't compare to the real thing. And it's kind of like that here. These two mountains that, that the writer is contrasting, they've got a lot in common, but once you've come to the second, when you stop and properly consider what you've come to, nothing else can compare. Look at how he describes the second mountain in verse 22. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. This, this is all picture language, and look at the picture that it's painting. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. You've come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. Do you see what they've come to, and what we also have come to? It's not something that we can touch just yet. It's a spiritual reality. But it's not just a dream or an ideal or a wish. It's a plan. It's a, a, a vision for the world that's coming. It's a plan that, that's already true spiritually, but is still coming physically. Have you ever 
wished or, or hoped that, that the world could be different to what it is? You know, have you ever imagined a world without suffering or a world without the insanity of racism, without greed, without selfish, toxic politics, a world without war, a world without climate change, a world without loneliness or heartbreak or abuse, a world without death. What you're actually imagining is this mountain. It's real. It's coming. And when we come to Jesus, we are taking our place as citizens of this reality. It's untouchable now, but it's unstoppable. Now, comparing this mountain to any other mountain that we could come to, it, it's like comparing Kosciuszko in New South Wales with Mount Cook in New Zealand. Now, let's be honest, I know this is unpatriotic. I love Kosciuszko, but it's a boring hill. It's a boring hill when you compare it to Mount Cook in New Zealand, isn't it? Uh, the Kiwi Ninja's gone, but he would agree, I'm sure. The beauty and the, and the wonder of Mount Cook just doesn't compare. Now, for about an hour of approaching this mountain, Mount Cook, driving towards it, you have to concentrate incredibly hard just so you don't drive into oncoming traffic and the lake because you can't take your eyes off, off the majesty and the beauty of it. The people getting this letter, they're tempted to turn away from Jesus and return to life before him, which for them was like returning to Mount Sinai. Now that's not our temptation. I don't think our temptation is to turn to Judaism. That's not where we feel safe and comfortable, where life is easier. The mountain we would, would turn to is something else some form of seeking security or comfort or pleasure or meaning outside of what God is doing in Jesus. could be anything, work or family or seeking life experiences, a relationship, money. But whatever it is, it, it just can't compare to what you have come to in Jesus. Did you notice that, that God is speaking from both mountains, as it was read before? But what God says from the second mountain is mind-blowing. Have a look at what he says and what exactly it is that's speaking. Look at verse 24. The writer says, You have come to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Do you see what's speaking? It's the blood of Jesus. Now you need to know the story of Cain and Abel to, to understand this. But basically Cain murders his brother Abel and God, said, God says it's like the blood of Abel cries out to him for justice against his brother. His blood says, God, punish the guilty. But what is the blood of Jesus saying? Jesus' blood cries out, God, don't punish them. Jesus' blood cries out for mercy. He cries out from the, from the cross, Father, forgive them. The mountain that, that we've come to is a joyful gathering of people who've been rescued by Jesus. 
refugees from a world that has wandered from its God. A people saved from what they deserve. It's a place built on love, founded on forgiveness. A place where the mess of this world and the mess of each of our own lives has been already completely washed away. Whatever we're tempted to turn to, it just can't compare to this. It can't compare to the vision that God has for his world. And this brings us to our second point. When we come to Jesus, we come to something unshakable. You know, everything else we could turn to, everything else that, that we could live for, it will be shaken and it will fall. But what we have in Jesus is unshakable. Is life inherently stable or is it inherently fragile? You know, it feels stable for a lot of us a lot of the time. But it's an illusion. It's fragile. Now, I reckon we all felt the fragility of life back in April, March and April, didn't we? As we watched people literally dying around the world and close to home. And, and we hated it. Our, our minds could barely accept it. But for the first time in a long time, collectively, as, as a state, as a country, as a world, we felt the fragility of life as economies crashed and jobs were lost, as freedoms were lost. We saw life is fragile. But come May, come June, what happened? Well, we started to believe again the illusion that life is stable that life is, is safe in the arms of government bonds and job seeker and closed borders. But I don't know if you've noticed in this last week, it's changed again, hasn't it? Here we are at the end of July, and again we're feeling the fragility of life, and we're wanting to resist the truth again. Now what we feel collectively at the moment, we all feel individually at different points in our lives, at different times. We get the diagnosis of cancer, and we see life is fragile. We get the phone call that there's been an accident or a fire or a horrible crime and we feel that life is fragile. We get called into the boss's office or someone says they're leaving us and the curtain's lifted and we see the truth. There's only one place in this world where you'll find solid ground. Verse 28 says... Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. We are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Whatever else might change around us and, and come crashing down around us, nothing can bring the kingdom of God down. And it's ours completely already when we come to Jesus. The things that we might think are worth building our life upon, they will come crashing down more easily than we think. And one day, they will come crashing down. One day, God says he will shake up the whole world and all that will remain will be his kingdom. I quite like building sandcastles at the beach. It's a little bit embarrassing for my family. Um, long after the kids have kind of finished, I'm still going. 
And I particularly like building sandcastles in that zone, that danger zone, you know, where at any minute the waves could crash all around it. It's a challenge to try and hold the ocean back. But it's one thing to build a sandcastle which doesn't matter, where you know it's not, not going to have any hope of standing. And it's quite, a nothing, it's quite another thing to build something valuable there. I don't know if you saw the storm recently in Gosford. I've jogged past these buildings. Some of us here have lived right near there. And doesn't your heart go out to these people? Their houses are toppling on the edge of a sand cliff. Now, if you knew that the sea was going to do that, was going to swallow up what you build, what you care about, you wouldn't build it there, would you? You are valuable. Don't play sandcastles with your life. Are you building your life within the walls of God's kingdom, which is unshakable? Or are you building your life somewhere else? And this really brings us to our last point. So having come to Jesus, what should we do? What does it look like to build a life in God's kingdom? Well, there's lots and lots we could say, of course. It's what we say every week. But there are three things that the writer of this letter says. And first he says, don't turn away. Look at verse 25. See to it, see to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. Don't refuse to, the, to listen to the one who cries out from the cross, Father, forgive them. The writer goes on, If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? Jesus, he, he warns us from heaven as our living Lord and Saviour. And he's telling us if we refuse him, we're refusing mercy. We're, we're choosing judgment. Now, there are many ways to refuse Jesus. We could do it outright, suddenly, aggressively. But we could also do it slowly. We can drift away being less and less captivated by him. Things like COVID-19 and, and church planting, changes like that, they tend to accelerate our actions. So those who are slowly drifting, they can speed up. And those who are slowly coming to this mountain, they can start running. So today, as, as we stop and we ask, what have we come to? Can I ask you, what direction are you heading at the moment? Toward Jesus or away from him? I had a friend who, who went through Bible college with me. But after Bible college, she broke up with her boyfriend and she faced some other challenging uh, changes that were really hard. And in the midst of all these changes, she felt like her faith was slipping away. But it actually proved to be an enormous time of growth for her. She caught up with someone who'd been one of our lecturers at Bible college. And he said to her, this might actually prove to be an opportunity for you an opportunity to experience God's grace on a deeper level for the first time. And it was. She realized she'd been kind of quietly confident in herself, proud before God in her own performance. And through this time, she experienced the mercy of, of Jesus on a deeper level than she ever had before. 
if you feel yourself drifting, it's not too late to change direction. Whatever you're considering turning to compared to Jesus, it, it just can't compare. Talk to someone about how you're going today. Change can be a threat, but it can also be an opportunity. And if you've never come to Jesus, if you haven't done that, do it today. There's no point building your house where it's not going to stay standing. Today you can come to him and start building your house, your life into something that's completely unshakable, that will last forever. Come and talk to me afterwards or talk to the person who brought you along today. And this brings us to the second thing the writer tells us to do having come to Jesus. Look at verse 28. He says, Therefore, since you're receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful. Be thankful. Uh, It's amazing how many times thankfulness is actually the right response in the Bible to what Jesus is doing in this world. No matter what shakes us now, what we have in Jesus, it can't be shaken away from us. Do you feel thankful for that? Nine times out of ten, I reckon thankfulness is a choice rather than just being something that we fall into. Having kids has taught me this, I reckon. You can have the most amazing day, but thankfulness doesn't necessarily follow. And we do it in adult ways too, of course. Thankfulness, it's a way of life. It's a frame of mind. And so we can stop and look properly at what we've come to and choose to be thankful, or we can choose to be ungrateful. I reckon this is especially important for us as a church at the moment. Now, we could lament that church is not what it was. We can't touch, we can't hug, morning tea has changed, the coffee machine's not working properly this morning, we can't sit next to those we would want to, and with church planting in a few weeks, things will probably just get harder. We'll have to say goodbye to people we love. Music will probably drop in quality here. There'll be more roles to be filled. And in the weeks ahead, who knows what could happen? We could, we could go back into lockdown and have to stop everything all over again. But none of that can touch what we have in Jesus. Because of Jesus' blood, we are citizens of a city of unbelievable joy and beauty that's unstoppable. And so today, as we stop, can I ask you, Do you feel thankful? Are you living a life of thankfulness? And this brings us to the final response. The writer says to us in verse 28, Let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Where to worship with reverence and awe. Now, this, this is about all of life worship. Later on, go and read Hebrews chapter 13. That's what the worship looks like. This is about our entire lives being shaped by Jesus as we listen to Him. And notice it's not something done lightly or half heartedly, it's done with reverence and awe because we know that if we turn our back on Jesus, we're turning our back on our only hope. And so today, as we stop, Can I ask you, is this your life goal right now to worship God with reverence and awe? Is it what's shaping everything you do as you come to church, as you go to work tomorrow with your family, 
with your friends. We belong to God's kingdom. We're receiving a kingdom that can't be shaken. So let's get on with living a life of thankfulness. Let's get on with living a life of worship. Let's get on with urging each other to live more and more for that day when this mountain that is untouchable right now becomes physically able to be touched. And let's get on with urging those who don't know Jesus to come to him, to come to this mountain, to come to life and forgiveness eternal. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you that you have called us to come to this mountain, that everything we ever dreamed or hoped for is found there, whether we knew that or not. Lord, we thank you that it, it's a place built on your love and your forgiveness in Christ Jesus and what he's done for us, a place of perfect acceptance, of eternal joy. Lord, help us to live for that day when this mountain will be seen by all. Lord, in the meantime, help us to never turn away from Jesus, to see that nothing else can compare. Lord, work in our hearts to overflow with thankfulness. Lord, help us to worship you in how we live, in how we do everything, and to urge each other on to this. And Lord, help us to be a people who call other to, others to this mountain too. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.